Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Crowd Podcast. My name is Manu Veth. And as always, I'm joined by Andrew Flynn from Siberia. Actually, not as always. You were off last week, weren't you? You were busy doing other things, mostly covering stuff yeah. in Yekaterinburg. But you're back. That's awesome. I am back. I am back. I actually would have still been in Yekaterinburg, um, but for a slight bit of confusion with my, my new job. But anyhow, that's under control. And more importantly, I'm back and ready to get on the Football Crowd Podcast. Well, always happy to have you back on. We had Alan Moore on, of course, last week, who was a fantastic guest, and we were definitely oh, going to have back some, yeah, some really good discussions. So, um, definitely worth listening back to as well. Well, but someone who was on last week, and, um, we should be slightly more happy, although I guess it's still, um, a little bit of crisis mode over in Spartak land. Tim. How's it going, Tim? Still, you know, you didn't lose, but not a fantastic result this weekend. Exactly, yeah, but I'm finally glad that there is an international break, uh, that Massimo hopefully can do something, and, um, yeah, before the Champions League, because, like, to finalize transfers and everything. So I'm glad there's a break, no games, and hoping that Massimo can do something, change around. Yeah, Tim, uh, I guess that international break for Russia is actually uh, an international break against Dynamo Moscow, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> big, big match against Dynamo Moscow. What a rivalry, huh? Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, that is something that you can always uh, kind of you know, bank on, that even though things are bad in Spartakland, you could always be Chechesov having to prepare your national team for Dynamo Moscow. Yeah, exactly. And like the the squad which he has, oh, we talked about it, and it's still it's still it's still crazy to us. Like all the decisions which were made on this international break, um, yeah, weird, very weird. Yeah, absolutely. And I will talk about the international break. Um, thankfully, in our on our area of the world that we cover, we also have Ukraine playing. And if you're wondering why. We're maybe not covering it too much this week is because we, we want to see how the games take place and what, what's going to happen over this international break. Um, and then cover it in detail next week. Um, what we do want to cover though this week is the Champions League and the Europa League draw. And we were really excited over, um, you know, we have this uh, group chat going on in Football Grad and we have uh, journalists, of course, covering the games, um, on location and, um, this draw has caused quite a lot of, um, yeah, happiness, I would say, right, Andrew? I mean, you got double lucky, lucky because you're going to be in <laughs> Moscow and, uh, Spartak got Liverpool and CSGA got Manchester. Should I say again? I tell you what, it is just, um, it's, it's, it could not be a better draw for me personally in a purely selfish way. Um, but I mean, what a what a football grad draw, though. Um, <laughs> seriously, we've got, um, we've got the Manchester United CSKA. You and I were at that game two years ago, Manu, yeah. um, and we saw uh, we saw a one-one draw at our favourite ground in Moscow, um, <laughs> the beautiful, lovely, fantastically located Kimki Arena. Um, <laughs> Now, I'm putting down Manchester United struggles that time to the intimidating or inspiring presence of Kimki Arena. Um, this time around, though, um, I think it all round is going to be a more spectacular evening because Manchester United are in better shape. The uh, VB Arena is just, 
Oh, it's just absolutely breathtaking. For me, it is honestly one of my favourite grounds I think I've ever been to. I really, really am a massive fan of it. Um, and then, of course, Spartak uh, drawing Liverpool. Um, so, I mean, since I've been in Russia, Liverpool haven't played a Russian team, not to my knowledge anyway, uh, certainly not recently. And back-to-back in Moscow, I mean, I was almost wondering when the draw was made whether they might rearrange that fixture just because, you know, two English teams in the same city overnight, you know, would there be possible security issues there? But anyhow, as far as I understand, it's not going to be moved and that will give me two back-to-back Champions League games covered for football grad. Yeah, so, Andrew, I was going to ask you, let's maybe stay quickly on CSKA. That um, that must have been a huge sigh of relief for them when they made it through to the the group stage because we all we talked about the you know for weeks now how they really need the money and they they need to do actually a bit of restructuring. Um, mm-hmm. How big of a relief was it that they made it through? Oh, absolutely enormous! You you, you cannot understate how how important it is. And so often when you talk about Russian football in relation to continental competition, it's usually Zanit's name that comes up with it's part of their business model. And we've mentioned that sort of phrase or variations of it a number of times. But I'd actually argue it's even more so for um, CSKA because they don't have the resources to back it up if they don't. They're in more trouble, I'd say, financially in the short term. I know long term, okay, this summer Zanit have spent a lot and that obviously necessitates more income. But you know, you take that away from uh, CSK Moscow and, and they really are in trouble. I mean, the, the recruitment has been an outgoing uh, process for the last, I know, three, four transfer windows. And, you know, yet again, barely made any, well, I'm not even sure if they have signed anybody permanently. Aaron on and air has, has remained. But anyway, the point is that, yes, absolutely huge. Um, and bearing in mind, they relied on that comedy own goal in the first leg to give them, um, the first take advantage. Uh, they really didn't earn a 1-0 lead going into the second leg, but they were much better in the second leg at home. They were much more commanding. Um, so it was over the two legs, you'd have to say. It was job well done. Um, so, you know, last week we mentioned how, uh, you know, how Goncharenko would approach the Champions League, how much priority he might give it, given that, you know, the the league title is probably asking a bit much to raise a challenge now, given we're already a quarter way through the league season. So, yeah, generally very exciting and a very interesting group. I'm really interested to see what you guys think about um, about their chances. But personally, uh, I think they have a very, very good chance of um, of challenging for second place in that group. Benfica a big challenge, of course, but I still think they have a chance there. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a moment, but... Tim, do you expect them they will do something with uh, August 1st? Uh, uh, sorry, September 1st is the deadline for Champions League registration, for the squad registration. We got um, a bit more than 24 hours left on the transfer window. Um, what do you think? Is anything going to happen in CSKA land? No, um, <clears throat> nothing major. Like we can't. I don't think we should expect uh, anything major from uh, like from their transfer. They might get somebody for free or maybe alone, as as they al- always do. But I don't think we can expect anything big. There were like a, there's a new rumor circulating in Russia that Ginner is might be selling the club fully or a portion of that, and that only has to do with these uh, you know financial problems. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't think it's just a healthy financial situation in CSKA to be going out for, um, big transfers. Like I said, they might get somebody, uh, for free, uh, but there was actually, uh, a, a little bit like a funny, I don't know where they found it, but there was like an, uh, like a joke that, yeah, the, that CSK was looking for a, for a defender. Um, uh, to, to to work for CSK, so uh, it, like like the joke was that they are looking like on 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 a, like on just on, like pretty much on the like on this website like Craigslist for 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 a for a pro player. So like it means just like they really don't have money. So like going back to what we started with, to to them, it's it's a massive 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 achievement they got the Champions League money and the Champions League football because uh, to to what I like the way I see like what what Andrew was saying like in the model I think it is more in the CSK's model to be to be in Champions League just purely for financial reasons because they need they have money if they don't make it 
it's it's not that of big deal in terms of uh, finance. It's 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 in their like you know they're a big club. They want to play Champions League football, but financially wise, it's not that big of a deal. For this guy, it's crucial to mm. play uh, Champions League football. Yeah, so they got there, and uh, <laughs> Andrew four times in a row, no goal conceded for Iko Akinfeev. That's remarkable for a guy who was what was it eleven years that he didn't manage a clean sheet. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the, nah, so the, it really? uh, the defense, and uh, I mean, this is something that I actually thought looked quite good. The defense actually did look quite good. So you know, the the Craigslist thing uh, is funny, but maybe yeah. they're gonna be just okay with going into with the squad into this group. And I mean, they're in a group with Basel, Benfica, and as you mentioned, Manchester United. Um, you know, we we saw the games against young boys, Bern, and um. The first leg was fortunate, but the second leg was convincing. Yeah. So they should be doing all right against Basel. Of course, Basel is a little bit of a step up from Bern. But what do you, what do you guys make? And this question in particular goes to you, Andrew. Benfica, um, I would reckon a slightly better team than they are, but Manchester United is a massive task at the moment. Yeah, I think, um, if, if you're going to analyse it coldly, objectively, you'd have to say Manchester United are favourites. To win the group, Benfica would be second favourites. Um, Basel, yes, I'm not going to say they're, they're, they're not going to be whipping boys, but CSK are certainly, I would say, on paper superior. So the, you know, the cold-hearted judgment would probably put United first, Benfica second, uh, Descartes third and Basel fourth. But... It, it it's, depends on the night. It really honestly depends how Gontrenka prepares the team mentally and how he rests them physically for uh, for the Benfica games. And Benfica away first up actually really could set the tone for the entire group stage for them. If they can take at least a point off Benfica away from home, then I would almost say they're in control of second spot potentially. Um, assuming, of course, that they're able to beat Basel home and away, rely on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I think it is one of the best chances they've had in quite some time, given the draw, given the well, basically the slight lack of focus on the league. Given that I just like I say, I don't think they're in a, in with a shout for the title. So it might mean they're able to put a bit more focus on this. And so, like I say, twelfth uh, of September. If they can take a point away from home to Benfica, I really would say they have a very good chance of, of taking second place. So we'll see. But I'm, 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 on, I'm on a knife edge at the moment. But I'm going to let my heart rule my head and say I think they might just just about do it. What do you think, Tim? What are they in, in my opinion, Ceska, like compared to Spartak, got um, like in a more luckier draw. Because um, of course, yeah, like, like Andrew said, uh, Manchester United first, Benfica second. That that's what uh, the the gut tells, and Benfica has been very very strong in the uh, recent years. But um, you know, Ceska just might do it. They they have that uh, experience of playing the European football, and um, like I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're gonna qualify, but I think they can give put up a fight, and they have um, a bit more chances, in my opinion, than Spartak and their group is. I wouldn't say it's easier, but it's 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 play. It's it's something that like you can you can try to at least qualify for Europa League and fight with Basel for the third point and hopefully get some points Benfica and Manchester United. So yeah, so I think Spartak has a little bit more chances of going to Europa League um, than Spartak. Well, we of course remember that evening in Kimki, right, Andrew? And the first ever Champions League game that Football Grad covered officially. And it was, this is going to be very different. Uh, Kimki, of course, um, I always joke about the, the cold, wet night in Stoke. I think if you have not experienced <laughs> cold, the, wet night in a, a cold, wet night in Kimki, you have not lived. <laughs> and this is, this is, uh, maybe one of the most challenging places, not just for the players, but also for the journalists. I remember we walked out of that stadium at one o'clock in the morning because, you know, late kickoff. A very cold mm-hmm. night. You had to arrange a taxi to the airport. I'd go straight to the airport. And I had to find a taxi back to, to town, which is, you know, was a 40 minute drive as well. And, um, it was, it, it it's a, 
weird it was a really weird venue to play it was it was a nice venue that evening the atmosphere was very very good but this is going to be an entirely different beast for uh, Manchester United fans going there because this stadium this new stadium is I'm not going to say it's downtown but it's close enough it's in a very nice area um you, yeah. you know we walked around there just was six weeks ago and uh, checked out the, the area because you were doing an article on the, the um, on the location, etc. Right. So it's going to be very different for Manchester United fans. And I think Manchester United fans can actually be very excited about going to, to Moscow and see them play at this particular facility because it's, it's a huge step up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a, I really, I really can't sing the praises of the venue enough. I really think it's, it's going to make the atmosphere even better. I mean, the Kinky Arena, the one thing I will say, that, that evening when it was packed out, it was a, it was an excellent atmosphere because it really does feel like the stands are on top of the pitch. But I'd say it's even more so at the VEB Arena. The stands, I think, are even steeper. Um, and it's closed in with the, the office blocks and the corner. And the, yeah, like you say, the, the location is better, and Cisco are basically are there for the taking for Manchester United from their point of view. So the fans should be more confident. Uh, two years ago, it was I wouldn't say necessarily a level playing field, but much more so of one. It was a game which United were very happy to take a point from. This time round, just from the English fans' point of view, they will be much more positive. Um, so yeah, I think. Um, I think that game is going to be a good measure of both sides. I don't think it matters too much if Tisca lose that one because it is, well, apart from Manchester United away, of course, I'd say that's a pretty, pretty, pretty much the hardest game, um, other than Old Trafford away. Um, and they, they won't be, they won't be like it's a crisis if they lose that one as long as they put up a good fight. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I cannot wait. I am so, so excited to see my team in one of my favourite venues. Um, hopefully the night after seeing Spartak do the business over Liverpool. So I'll be yes. supporting Spartak in that one, Tim. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we'll get to that group in due course, guys. Before we get to that group, I want to talk about another team that got an English team and uh, someone that a lot of you probably haven't heard very much about, and that's Karabakh. And... Uh, Karabakh is a bit of an an odd one. It's a team playing in exile in Baku because the region of Nagorno-Karabakh um, was lost to Azerbaijan in a, in a conflict with Armenia. I don't want to say necessarily occupied because that's it's a two sword two sided sword, right? That's a it's a very difficult story. But Nagorno-Karabakh was lost to Azerbaijan in a conflict with Armenia. So this team, Karabakh. Um, Karabakh Akdam. Akdam was a town in the region of Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, it's depopulated now. It's empty. We have an article up on footballgrad.com where you can see pictures of the town. So the town basically doesn't exist anymore. And this club basically represents that area of the world. Um, you know, a contented area, a contentious area. But at the same time, they're also the first team from Azerbaijan, the first Azeri side to reach the Champions League group stage and I mean this is a remarkable achievement even for a normal club but for a club with that kind of background history it's amazing and then when you look at the group they got Chelsea, Atletico and Roma uh, you know Chris Williams from from the Football Grad Network was of course excited because uh, this draw means he can see Chelsea, Tottenham and Arsenal in London cover them all three for Football Grad in one week because they're all playing each other playing all three playing back to back to back but I mean, this is this is remarkable for a small side like that, isn't it, Tim? To, to reach the Champions League and then get such an amazing group. Exactly. Yeah. So, like for the first big debut, it's such an amazing uh, draw for them, so they can see three big clubs and go to away to three big stadiums. Like obviously, it, like they have no chance of qualifying even to to Europa League just because of the draw and the, the size. I watched their highlights game against, they played them um, the qualifying game against Copenhagen, and they really got lucky. Like, I, Copenhagen, like, was superior, and they had so many chances. And Karabakh, like, they, they got the goal, and, like, all the, like, you know, like, the result, that that's what counts. But you can see if they had troubles with their team, such as Copenhagen, they, they will be just destroyed by Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, or Roma. But, uh, you know, on the other side, this is just good for an Azerbaijani club to make to Europa to, to, to Champions League 
and to get such an amazing draw, it's just it's just good for like development of football there. Um, obviously, like you know, you hope that those games will be sold out, and um, it just it, it's it's just a massive attention to such a small uh, club and um, you know small country in in the footballing terms. And um, you know, the Atletico Madrid. Remember, we talked about Azerbaijan, the the the, the sponsorship. So now they have a perfect opportunity to go back home. Yeah, <laughs> of course, the land of fire. And uh, that is maybe the one, one little concern I have that I, I worry that Karabakh is going to be misused as for political purposes. And Andrew, I, I tweeted this out right away in the, the Football Grad account. I, I wrote an article after they qualified. The, the big issue is, of course, the amount of political influence at this club. And, uh, you know, the fact is that the, the foreign ministry right away sent out a congratulations statement, um, with the background information on Karabakh, where it's located, the political issues involved. Um, that's a little bit concerning, isn't it? Yes, unfortunately it is. There's no point trying to skip around the issue on the pitch itself. Like, like Tim said, it's, it's wonderful for the club, but there's just no separating politics from this situation. Um, now, the history of the conflict is, is uh, well, delicate enough to say the least. Um, but, yeah, it's inevitable that it will be used, you know, welcoming. I mean, they could barely have got three more glamorous uh, teams to come from, you know, popular cities across Europe and to welcome them to Baku. And I don't forget, of course, you know, the we all, like you mentioned, you alluded to the the uh, Azeri Foreign Ministry, uh, I've got a very, very strong hand at the moment in sport with the um, Azerbaijan Grand Prix as well. That, of course, attracts a hell of a lot of uh, foreign investment companies and attention worldwide. Then, of course, there's there's these games. They, they won't let it pass without. Um, well, without using the opportunity to portray their situation in a stronger light for them. Now, I mean, that's a, it's a cynical way to look at it, but unfortunately, football is a cynical sport. And uh, it would be almost, well, it would be very surprising if they didn't use uh, the platform to broadcast whatever message it is they wish to, to do so. But, you know, there, there are so many teams that you could look at that potentially you'd say, well, you know, how are they going to stage, you know, European level games with all of the... The, the complications, the conflicts, the politics behind the um, behind where they are. You know, you've, I off the top of my head, for example, uh, Ahmad Grozny. If they were to qualify for European competition with all of the negative press they've had with the treatment of, uh, of of homosexuals that has been in the news recently, it's just you, the, there are so many potential problems. I just I don't know what the answer is. Because the footballers themselves, they're the ones who would be punished if they were not allowed to, to play in European competition freely. They've earned the right in that sense. So um, how you separate politics and football in this situation, I, I have no idea. But um, hopefully we will see the team themselves put up a good fight, um, you know, do themselves proud without there being... I hope the attention is on the pitch, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I hope the attention is on the pitch where it should be. Um and uh, yeah, I hope they enjoy their their few days in the sun. <laughs> That's funny that you're saying that because Aseri's son is the owner. But uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, the, the if you want to hear more about you know the influence of politics, um, I think it's worth listening back. I think we did this podcast about three weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, about yeah. the influence of of politics and the the importance of football in Azerbaijan's foreign policy politics. But I also want to point out uh, Thomas DeVall's uh, Black Sun book for anyone who's listening to this and who wants to know more about Karabakh and the history of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and the contentious situation in the Caucasus in general. That's a fantastic read. It's a very, very good book. And um, it's it really explains quite well um what's happening in the region. So yeah, once again, that's Black Garden by Thomas DeVall. But I want to move on to, and you must be so excited, Tim, to your group. Um, <laughs> yeah. Liverpool, Maribor, Sevilla. That's an, it's a, it's an interesting group with two very good teams, but it's also, um, a group that is manageable. Uh, if, and this is, you know, there's a big if, 
Spartak um, have not had a good season this far. You mentioned, of course, that the international break will hopefully give them some time to sort some things out. But we haven't seen any transfers and uh, the results have not really improved. There was a 0-0 draw lately against Gaharabovsk. Are you just basically happy that, you know, you're on an international break and then you have to look, can look forward to Champions League? Or are you worried that, you know, Champions League could be a disaster? No, no, I'm actually very happy that there's finally international break and then the team can sort them, hopefully sort them out and we can hopefully expect some transfers. Still no new transfers. I've been saying that for over a month on the spot that, you know, like there's, there's a crazy delay with transfers. Still like the different rumors come up, this player, that player, but nobody has been taking a picture with holding a red white shirt on the official website. So I don't know what's going on. Like I'm, I'm out of even any suggestions or guesses. I'm just waiting for the next, um, even less than 48 hours to finish and hopefully we'll sign somebody. But going back to group, uh, tough group, but like you said, it's manageable. We, d- we didn't get anybody like Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, like the team which we have like no completely chances in any case scenario. I think we can, Spartak has been historically doing well against, um, English teams and even we won over Liverpool, um, uh, like in the, in the what's early nineties. Um, See, Spanish teams not so well, so Sevilla, I don't think we'll get that much, but, uh, um, I, I'm hoping that, like, the goal for me, uh, like, first, no, I'll, I'll say it like this. First of all, it's great to see Spartak being back to Champions League. Like I said, uh, even the season is not going well, but an exciting time to be Spartak fan again. Uh, we, we obviously had a great season. We're back to Europe, and it's it's exciting to be a fan. And because the good things are happening around the club, if you if you take a look at the big picture, at the same time, given this group, I think that it will be ideal for us to make it to Europa League because obviously we like you know going to playoffs. It's punching a, a bit of above our weight. Uh, but to be quite honest, I think we'll be last. Uh, because Maribor has a little bit more European experience. I think Spartak will finish last this group, but uh, I will be happy if they will go to Europa League. Oh, wow. Do you think that you're going to finish last behind Maribor? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Maribor has a little bit more European um, experience because they'll be playing a little bit more. I know from the past experience how Spartak does after not being uh, for a Europe uh, in Europe for a while, when they come back, we always do poorly. So um, Spartak only been good in Europe when we've been playing consistent European football. This is when we were good. Uh, otherwise, it's it's always a disaster. So I'm I expect us to be last, and I'll be extremely happy if we make it to Europa League. So basically, you hope for the best. Uh, Enka Maribor, of course, an overall transfer value of thirteen point two five million. That's uh. <laughs> A quarter of a promise. Um, <laughs> Andrew, do you think Tim is buried uh, rightfully? <laughs> well, I think um, I think Tim's uh, I think Tim's pessimism stems more quite significantly from from this season. I really cannot believe that even Spartak could Spartak up this situation. <laughs> Um, but again, again, he's you know that is one of those things about being a Russian. Uh, a Russian follower of football, you, you, when it comes to Zenit and Spartak, there's always that possibility that the most ridiculous situation will happen. But I, honestly, I don't see it happening. The only the only way I do see them mucking it up is if within the next week or two we do see uh, Leonid Fadun be Leonid Fadun and buy oh. uh, Massimo Carrera. I don't see it happening yet. But I think we're we're approaching borrowed time already for the Italian manager. And I'm a massive fan of Carreras. He's a very smart tactician. And I'm not entirely sure why Spartak have had such poor results in the league um, this season. But, you know, even if you look on paper, you look on paper, the results, yes, they haven't been haven't been great. But the defeats have not been, you know, other than the Zanik game, that was... I mean, okay, those games happen. Zanita are a magnificent team this season. Um, but other than that, they haven't been trampled completely. It's not like they've just given up hope completely. They just haven't managed to win. I mean, the, the, the locomotive game, you know, that red card, that cost them, really. So what I'd say, the point I'd make is I don't think the crisis is as real as people are making out. And, but it will be if Carrera is moved on. 
I think it would be a mistake. But again, Ferdun unfortunately has made quite a few mistakes, uh, as many people would would say. So I mean, when it comes to this Champions League group, I think the sensible option by such a long way is to keep the status quo. If they can add a, a signing tomorrow, I, I think it's getting a bit late now. Um, personally, on that point, by the way. I would honestly really consider a, a move for Artem Duba um, on loan, mm-hmm. possibly. And, and it's not going to happen, of course. But you know, you add you add a striker like that, it gives you another option. Um, Zeluish is a, a mercurial striker, but I don't find him dependable. Whether his form will hold out, something tells me he just won't last. Um, Zeluish is a is a is a great option. But you know, once he's injured, you then you've lost that physicality up front. Um, so if they can make a signing, keep Carrera. I really do think it is is touch and go. Sevilla are great European campaigners. They are very very experienced in continental competition, so they will be very difficult. But I'd almost say Liverpool could be targeted at home, possibly even more than Sevilla. Um, Liverpool are prone to. Uh, crumbling quite spectacularly when they do, they it's spectacular. Um, so away from home, the, you know, to, in their minds, going to Russia, that stereotypical thing in your head. Oh, we've got to go all that huge distance to the freezing cold wastelands of Moscow. Forgetting the fact that it will probably be plus twenty five, and it's actually not much further than Turkey anyway. Um, so there, there's hope there. There is hope. Yeah, you know, remember the game that we saw between Manchester United and CSKA, Manchester, that was a 1-1 draw, wasn't it? And CSKA was actually maybe the better side on that evening. Yeah. Moscow is not yeah. an easy place to play. And I think, I think teams in the past have shown that that first time back in the Champions League group stage can be challenging, you know, because, um, all of a sudden you're dealing with yeah. midweek, weekend, midweek, yeah, yeah. weekend, you know, so Spartak have that, issue of course as well but so will Liverpool I remember the last time Liverpool were back in the Champions League group stage after a long hiatus this was under Brandon Rogers, of course and they went out didn't they in the group stage not going to suggest that's going to happen here I think that Liverpool are too strong but I'm also what I'm saying is that um, there could be an off night for them um, simply because of the demands that the, the Premier League has and the demands that you know the other two club cup competitions Yes, they have two in England. It's madness, um, but it does happen. So that they, they, that could put quite a strain on them. And I think that, you know, if Sparta get them the right evening in Moscow, I think there's no chance, no snowball's chance in hell that Spartak will get anything at Anfield. And, uh, those people wondering why I'm saying that they should rewatch the Hoffenheim game at Anfield. Sure. They, they're very good. Klopp has them playing very good, very well at home, especially. So I think that is one where they maybe can hope for a point. And if they get a point or a win against Sevilla and uh, Maribor, I'm sorry, Tim, but they were, the entire <laughs> transfer budget is 13.5 million euros. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you should be all right. So maybe um, second or third. That's my prediction. The one concern I have, and this is I'm with you, Andrew, is Leonid Fidun. Yeah. And... Uh, it's not just what's happening with Massimo Carrera, but there is rumblings that the Odkriti Bank is facing bankruptcy. And they are, of course, the, the sponsor of Spartak Stadium, but they're also um, one of Luke Oil's holdings, actually, is an owner of uh, Odkriti, um, the bank. And, you know, I almost wonder if some of the inactivity on the transfer market is linked to that. Um, Tim, do you know anything more about this? Unfortunately, I don't know much about it. The, the only thing I know that Fidun said that uh, the problems with Atkritia Bank won't affect Spartak, but I think he is. Yeah, I don't think it's that's true. Like if he, if one of like if a stadium sponsor and one of his very important companies having financial troubles, I don't see how that would not affect uh, Spartak's financial situation. And you're actually absolutely right. Those news came out just fairly recently, mm. so that that might. You, you're absolutely right. I think it might that might be linked to a transfer inactivity of Spartak because like there was financial un- un- uncertainty with the bank with the club. Like I said, I don't know exactly how those yeah. ca- cash flows work, but I agree with you that could be that could be the the issue. And um, yeah, I I don't I don't see how that would not affect Spartak's financial situation. So yeah, they need of course the sponsor because the main sponsor is Luke Oil. 
right? Mm-hmm. Which is owned, partly owned by Leonid Fidun. And, uh, Otkrite is considered, um, a separate sponsor, despite the fact that it is through various holdings and backdoor deals, etc. Is not technically associated to Luke Oil, so they need that as for sponsorship diversity, which is of course a key component of financial fair play. And we had this issue with Locomotive, didn't we, Andrew? That um, Locomotive had various sponsors, but they all happened to be owned by the Russian railways. And UEFA is quite adamant that there has to be sponsorship diversity. So all of a sudden, one of your sponsors um, faces financial problems. That amount of money might just put you above that profit margin, right? So you you need um, several sponsors to to work for you. And we we saw with locomotive that they were under a lot of pressure by by UEFA um, to sort out the sponsorship thing. So what do you see there, Andrew? Um, could this be something that could potentially harm Spartak in the long run? Well, I think it's going to unsettle Fedun, um because you know he's. You know, he, he's got this magnificent stadium built and, you know, you've got to make the, you've got to make the stadium, um, uh, profitable. And it, it has been relatively so far on the face of it in that they have managed to fill the creature for, well, not completely, but certainly they've got a, a lot of fans in. Um, and obviously the World Cup next year is going to be a big source of revenue there. Um, but the, the concern for me is that having, you know, having made, and, you know, let's not be around the bush, he has made, or at least the, the companies he works for, have made the investment through whatever name you want to call it, have made the investment in the stadium. And if they have to, if they are forced to find a different title sponsor for the stadium, I don't, I don't imagine they will let it get to that stage because, you know, they're not stupid. They, they are very experienced people. And when I say they, I'm talking very broadly about Russian businesses are very experienced at, um, you know, finding a way to find a different name sponsor. So I don't, I don't envisage it being a major issue on the, on the balance sheet in the long term, but it's something that Fadoon would rather not have to be focusing on. And it might take away his focus. He might be more concerned, I think, to protect the long term stability of the club, because it's like you say, those, as long as you satisfy UEFA's demands uh, on on paper, that's based, that's all you need to do. But if you don't, then you're really in trouble. And he's he's a smart man. Um, for what any, anybody else might say about him, he's a smart man, and he knows the consequences of getting into trouble. Look what happened as well. Don't forget, you mentioned locomotive, Manu, but um, look at uh, Dynamo, of course, a couple of seasons ago with. Um, the, the value of the VTB sponsorship uh, and Mr. Rottenberg's involvement with the club. I mean, that was that was an example of FFP actually taking action. So we've seen directly um, that these issues, if they are allowed to get out of control, for want of a better phrase, um, really will hurt you. So I think, to answer your question, Manu, in short, is... I'd say I think Fedun will be concerned about it and it may affect his activity in the transfer market like you suggested. Long term, I don't see it being a problem, but short term, and by short term, I really do mean the next 48 hours um, before mm. transfer window closes, uh, that's, that actually might end up having a knock-on effect for this season. Beyond this season, I'm not worried, but for short term, Champions League campaign especially, it would start to worry me. Yeah, it's definitely something that we have to keep an eye on. We need to move on to our final team in the Champions League, and that's Shavkos Shachter Donetsk, the uh, only Ukrainian side to make it through. Uh, Dynamo Kiev were, of course, eliminated by Young Boys Baron. And we'll briefly talk for a minute or so about that in a moment, uh, because Dynamo Kiev were eliminated by Young Boys Baron, were then were eliminated in the playoff stage by CSKA, and now Young Boys were drawn into a group with Dynamo Kiev in the Europa League. So there's that. They get a immediate revenge, but we want to talk about Schachter and, uh, Schachter are back in the Champions League. They missed out and here come, here it comes. They missed out on last year's group stage because they were eliminated by young boys Baron. Huh, see what I did there? Um, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so they got Manchester City, Napoli and Feyenoord. That is a super attractive group. And I mean, I mean, this is attractive for anyone involved because Schachter Donetsk, despite 
exile team uh, can't play in Donetsk. They're playing in Kharkiv now, which is a lot better venue for them than Lviv was because it's located geographically um, much closer to the Donbass than uh, the Carpathian Mountains are. And it's a stadium that's usually full when they play. And it's it's because Metalist Kharkiv, of course, went bankrupt. They're restarting in the lower divisions in Ukraine. They're basically the only team in town. Um, so, you know, they're quickly becoming, I guess, Shachta Kharkiv. But it's an attractive team, you know, despite the fact that Exa meant that they haven't been able to make a lot of investments. But it's still a very attractive team. And they went, of course, through the Europa League group stage last season unbeaten. And, you know, the draw, of course, Manchester City, Napoli, Feyenoord, that's three tough opponents. But I can't really see, aside from Manchester City, of course, because of all the money that they're spending, a clear-cut favorite there. What do you think, Andrew? You know Manchester City a bit better than yeah. uh, any of us. It's it's an inter- it's definitely an interesting group, like you say, an attractive group because I think um, I think all the teams in there have certainly got something they can realistically hope for. Um, Feyenoord, you'd have to say, are the weak link in the group. Um, but what I would say is that you know it depends which Shakhtar turns up for me. Um, if it's the Shakhtar before last season, then I'd say, yes, they should at the very least get Europa League, if not challenge Napoli for uh, for second spot. I think Manchester City are favourites in, in this in this group. They are looking incredibly dangerous at the moment. Um, Gabriel Jesus up front is, is looking every inch the player that he was touted to be uh, before he left Brazil. Um, and the fact that they can have a player of the quality of Sergio Aguero effectively as their second choice on the bench to call on striker it, it says a lot um however they are very susceptible at the back and their defense is taking a lot of a lot of reworking by Pep Guardioli he's had to change the system already in the league um on occasion so there is potential to get at city in the home game uh, final they've got to be Shakhtar have got to be looking to beat them there napoli are a side that I don't I don't watch as much, but they have some fantastic players in there. So, um, yeah, Arcadius Milik is back uh, from a long-term injury. Well, I mean, he came back last season, but he's now properly fully match fit. Um, Dries Merton's still there, of course. Marek Hamšík. They've got a they've got a fantastic squad, so it's not going to be easy for Shakhtar. Um, it depends how they settle into the the stadium in Kharkiv. That's that that for me is going to be a key. If they can get that atmosphere you allude to, Manu, then that could be a fairly decisive factor for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've they've got to be targeting second. It might be a tall order for second. My head is saying they might just have to settle for Europa League. But um, I don't think there's too much shame in that, um, as long as they go far in the Europa League once they get there. I think that the big benefit that Schachter Donetsk have is that despite the fact that they haven't really made any major transfers to bring in players, they also haven't lost anyone in anyone significant in the last two windows. So, you know, they brought in Blanco Lechuk, who was, was a very powerful striker, um, Argentinian Ukrainian striker who, who's played at various different clubs and he's done quite well. And when you look at the front line, they, they retained Tyson, they signed him to a new contract, they retained Malos, uh, Ferreira is still, still there and, you know, Viktor Kovalenko, young talent, Ukrainian. Bernard is still there and he's doing, looking a lot better. And, um, they have been playing together in this formation for, you know, 18 to 24 months now without any significant changes. They are a unit and they're playing very well under Fonseca. You know, Fonseca is a very, very good coach. Um, he's, I think he's even might be these days the highest paid uh, personality at the club, you know, he makes more than many of his players. So I think, you know, Shakhtar Donetsk are dangerous for that. And I think they will challenge for that second spot. It will be Napoli or Shakhtar Donetsk uh, on that second spot. And uh, I think it, it's going to be great fun seeing Shakhtar Donetsk back in the group stage. But I, I want to quickly go over the Europa League. We don't have too much time to go into detail, but some really interesting draws when you, when you look, who, Everyone got Zenit, got Real Sociedad, Rosenborg, and Vada. 
they have to win that group, right, Andrew? Uh, yeah, no question. And uh, I, I'm very confident that they will do. Um, they, they're, they're looking very, very potent. And if anything, I'd say they've, they've almost got too many players in their squad. I mentioned earlier that Archon Zuba might be um, might be an option. I heard that Locomotive were negotiating with him, in fact, but his wage demands are fairly high. That's going to be the problem. Also, they signed Ida, right? They signed Ida, so they don't really need to... Well, well, they they have. I mean, it, if they if they had signed a slightly a slightly a slightly quicker player who could have played alongside him or just off him to the side, then Zuba would have actually, I think, made a lot of sense for Locomotive. But yes, like you say, Edo is a very tall physical striker. Um, he's got more pace than Zuba, so I would still say if they were if they had been able to to Locomotive had been able to get Zuba, he would have been a good signing for them. But anyway, the point is that Zanita very well stocked. Um, they, their squad is looking good. Mancini has got, he's, he's, like we've said already, every pod so far this season, he's really got to grips with them. They've got X Factor players like Sebastian Driussi. So, yeah, absolutely. If they cannot, if they can't win that group, then quite honestly, they should be embarrassed for themselves. But, um, I think they will do. And I don't think they'll have as much potential problems as they kind of faced last season in, in what was a weak group last season as well, don't forget. So. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. I think they easily win that group. Uh, going to move on, Soria, Luhansk, Drew, Bilbao, Hertha, and Ostersons. I think that's uh, a challenging group for Soria. Um, probably like last year won't make it out of that, but it's it's good seeing that Ukrainian side playing um, with with higher profile teams. Locomotive, we just mentioned them. They got Copenhagen, Sheriff, and Sleen. Um, I think that's a very doable group for Copenhagen as well. Uh, Barte Borisov, Arsenal, Köln, and Red Star Belgrade. I think, uh, that was, of course, number three of the teams that, uh, Chris was very excited about because he gets to, uh, do back to back to back coverage for Football Grad three days. Um, so look out for that. That will be in September. That will be coming up very soon. And then, of course, Dynamo got Young Boys Bern. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's the, probably the funniest one because, you know, as I just mentioned, there is all this connections. We've covered Young Boys Baron a lot already this season, <laughs> I feel. <laughs> and we're going to get to see even more of them. But, you know, we need to talk about Dynamo because they, of course, just lost. And we all expected this to happen sooner rather than later. But they just lost Andre Yamolenko. So, yeah, of course, uh, Andre Yamolenko is, is finally off. A transfer made two years in the making. Uh, we all expected that would happen eventually. Um, although I guess some of us already had given up on the potential transfer. And Dinamo, of course, now are in rebuild. They needed the money from this deal. They now surpassed again by, uh, Schachter Donetsk in the league, uh, trailing them. And, um, you know, it will be interesting to see how, how they will handle this group with young boys, partisan Skanderbu. But Andrew, even with Andrei Yamolenko gone, um, that's still a manageable group for them, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, uh, you know, we, we saw, uh, Krasadar struggle against Red Star Belgrade. So partisan, how, how much of on a par are they with them? That could be a, a slightly difficult away game. Um, but <laughs> like you say, the revenge, there's motivation there for, for the young boys games. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely manageable. Um, minor, losing Yarmolenko, it's almost, it's always less of a shock because we've had, like you mentioned, we've had two years to prepare for it. Um, you know, mentally, if he had gone for, you know, a big money move and a lot of noise had been made about it, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, perhaps it would have been a slightly harder thing to adjust to. But, um, I, I, I think they should be able to get through no problem there. Um, you know, Umbakani up front is, is scoring. He may not, you know, English fans know him from his time, uh, at Norwich and Hull, I think it was. And he, he never really set the English league alight, but that's not a barometer for a player's quality by any means. And he's scoring well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in their, in their prospect, but I will say it is good to see Yarmolenko make a big move because it's what his talent deserves. And, you know, if he'd waited much longer, he would have run out of time. So, very, very interesting to see how he'll do in Germany. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I want to talk about that in just a moment. Just really quickly, Astana, Villarreal, Maccabi, Tel Aviv. That's, of course, the uh, the final group we're going to cover. Um, 
Slavia as well. I think Astana um, will be battling for second place. But yeah, Yamolenko. That's, uh, you know, I, I was joking to one of my friends from uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, Stefan Buschko, who we, of course, had on the Gegenpressing podcast two weeks ago. And uh, when I first said to him, like, oh, a Yamolenko will happen this time. And he said, like, oh, that's great news for you. You can just basically rehash all the Football Grad articles and uh, just change the date. <laughs> because this um, this deal has been a long time in the making. And maybe just to recap of what, what happened exactly is that Yamolenko was already in talks with Borussia Dortmund in the summer of 2015. And this was, of course, when Dynamo Kiev had that very good season, where they reached the quarterfinal of the Europa League, where they won the the Ukrainian championship um, under Reprov. And, you know, looked like they had dislodged uh, Shakhtar Donetsk from that number perennial number one spot in Ukrainian football. And the issue, of course, was that the owners, Ihor and Hirori Sokis, uh, very powerful politicians in Ukraine, they had promised Andrei Yamolenko a move abroad should he win the championship with Dynamo Kiev. At the time, he is 25, which, of course, would have been a prime time for him to go. Um, but as often is the case with Eastern European football owners, they retract their statement. Uh, Yamolenko was negotiating with Dortmund at the time. Dortmund were negotiating with uh, Dynamo Kiev and the transfer hit several roadblocks. Uh, in the end, the Sokos brothers went back on their promise. They did not let him go. And then they gave him a $5 million contract, more or less tax-free because Dynamo Kiev pays their players to various offshore accounts, um, which meant that a transfer, any future transfer would have been very difficult to handle. Now, in 2016, Dortmund tried again. And this was in January 2016, and they came again very, very close because they, of course, had Adnan Janusai on loan from Manchester United, which did not work out at all. And uh, then they sent him back to United and they needed to bring in a good player right away. So they tried again. And again, the Sokis brothers put up roadblocks. And at this point, Yamulenko was actually, or at that point, Yamulenko was actually already in town looking at uh, apartments to stay in. And then Dynamo Kiev went full stop and put in all these demands and Dortmund left the negotiations. And then, of course, what happened is that by the end of that season, the, the European Championships came around and uh, Ukraine disappointed at those European Championships. And he kind of disappeared from the radar a little bit because of his high salary demands, the fact that um, he never really seemed to go abroad, never really wanted to go abroad, and his club wouldn't let him go abroad. So the last two years, uh, the last year or so, it gotten pretty quiet about him and a possible move. I, but what happened is, of course, last spring um, or this spring, the Privatbank had their, um, the Privatbank Dynamo, where the Dynamo Kiev owners have many of their assets was nationalized. And some of their assets have been frozen, which of course put Dynamo Kiev in a perennial financial situation and made them very susceptible, um, to any kind of offer. So when Dynamo, when Borussia Dortmund sold Osman Dembele and then he needed to bring in a player to replace him, they remembered that, uh, Yamolenko and they had, you know, that they were, they already had all these feelers out there. So when they offered 25 million, Dynamo Kiev went straight out and said, yes, well, we're doing it. And Yamolenko, of course, um, I can assure you he's not making five million dollars after tax at the Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> um, but he would have been in danger of losing salary if he had stayed at Dynamo. So this is the entire background of this, this transfer, a very long time in the making, but, Tim, he's 27 now. You know, this is basically his last chance to go abroad, isn't it? Yeah, I think, and I think it's, it's an exciting chance for him because I think that's the right club for him. The way he plays, he will be a good fit. Uh, like, if listeners don't know, I'm like, of course, Spartak is my favorite team, but I'm a big supporter of Borussia Dortmund, so I'm very excited uh, for them to get such an interesting player who also has, like, the football grad connection. So it's an interesting transfer for me. I think it's a great um, situation for everyone. Dembele wanted to leave to Barcelona. He left. Dortmund made lots of money from Dembele transfer, and they were able 
to offer a pretty significant amount of money for for Yermolenka. And then he moved from uh, Ukrainian league um, to to Borussia Dortmund and Dynamo Kiev made lots of money. So it's like a very happy story where I think everyone is happy and I just really hope he will settle in uh, very well. Um, I'm not sure, like I would question to you, man, how do you see where him him playing? At which position? Because uh, as we talked before the pod, there's such a tough competition for the spot in the Borussia Dortmund squad as uh, the Royce will come back and just the, the whole competition. So I'm curious to see your vision, how he will uh, settle in and which position he would play. Yeah, that's a very good question because, you know, we, we talked, we were just before the pod started, we rattled down all the names that they have. Um, of course, Mark Royce is injured right now. So um, big question mark behind him. But Yamolenko likes to play. He's a strong left footed player. He likes to play on the right and then cut in and uh, use his left foot to do finish off moves. Now, currently, Pulisic is playing on that right wing. And, uh, you know, all US listeners, of course, then they will get goosebumps just mentioning his name because he is a superstar in the making. But Pulisic is only 18 years old. And with Champions League football and Bundesliga football, cup football coming in our in quick succession, Pulisic, of course, also needs to travel for the US national team. I, I think that Dortmund just weren't sure that they wanted to play him every game. You know, they want to give him rest. So they needed someone to play on that right wing for mm. Pulisic. And that's where he's going to settle, settle in. So Yamolenko will have to, he's not going to be an automatic starter anymore. I think that is something that he will have to get used to. But now he's playing at a big club, right? So he'll share that position with Pulisic. The, the thing is though about Yamolenko, um, we have to remember he was trained as a striker and that's where, you know, and Andrew, you might want to touch about on that for in a second, maybe. Um, the unfair comparison with Chenko always comes in. So he could also, you know, um, slot in and replace Aubameyang should Aubameyang go down with an injury because he can play up front as well. And he can play on the left side too as a, as a left footed player. So he's, he's very multi purpose. I think they can use him in a lot of different positions. But yeah, he's his number one uh, number one plan for Borussia Dortmund is to use him on that right wing. But yeah, like that Shevchenko comparison, we hear that all the time, don't we, Andrew? And it's probably very unfair. Well, I have to be honest. I think it is, and I I don't really see it as being an accurate comparison because for me, Shevchenko was well in his prime, of course, was one of the absolute best centre-forwards, finishers um, that, that Europe had, uh, all the world had, to be honest. Now, Yarmilenko, like you mentioned, he's got his eye for goal and his versatility is obviously what has attracted him, uh, has attracted Dortmund to him, uh, well, and his price as well, because in today's market, for £25 million to get Yarmilenko is an absolute steal, of course. But, yeah, the comparison to Shevchenko, to me, I, I see them coming about more because he's simply Ukraine's biggest striking star at the moment and it, it kind of does my head in a little bit when people do comparisons too much um, but you know Yarmilenko like you say challenge getting into the Dortmund side he may well like you mentioned because of Royce's injury at the moment he may get a, a chance to, to stake a claim but it will be very interesting to see how mentally he adjusts because you know there's a big difference between moving in your absolute prime on top form when you're first getting the attention at the age of 24, 25, to then having gone through, well, he's, he's still got a good few years left, but he's only got about four or five years at the very, very top to move at this stage of his career and then have to adjust. That mentally is going to be the biggest challenge for me. Um, but I, I get the feeling that, that Dortmund know what they're doing. You know, letting letting Dembele go for a quite ridiculous fee is is very good business. Um, Yarmilenko arguably offers even more of a goal threat. So, um, have they really lost out as a club? Like you, like you guys mentioned earlier, the attacking options are just like, it's just it's ridiculous. It's unfair that Dortmund are allowed to have so many you know front range strikers, forwards, wingers. That's terrifying. Just looking at the squad list now, but. Um, it is, well, you know, it's a challenge. Yarmolenko said he wants to move aboard. He's got it. He's got to prove himself. He's going to have to work at it. Um, 
it's it could go one of two ways for me. I don't want to be too negative, but I think it's a lot of adjusting, and I wonder whether he realizes quite how much adjusting, both mentally and tactically, he's going to have to do. But you know, cross my fingers, and hopefully, well, he's certainly in a he's certainly in a great club to play in, um, and uh, that's probably the best thing for him, the best environment. So, fingers crossed, Yarmolenko will show the world that Eastern Europe produces the best players. Yeah. I think, you know, this, the age is really uh, my main concern. Another concern is, of course, how will he do from being the, the big shark at Dynamo to being one of many little fish at Borussia Dortmund. That may be a huge adjustment for him. He will have to learn to play in a league where you have to much, do much more backtracking and play a lot more gegen pressing. So physically, there will be a lot of adjusting to him. Peter Bosch, of course, wanted this player. So I think the, the Dutch coach uh, knows what he what he wants and he knows what he gets and he he knows that that will he will be a little bit of work so i think it will be fine in that regard and then then there's the numbers when you look at his numbers he has played 340 games for dinamo kiev Uh, he has scored 137 goals and assisted 90 more that's uh 227 scoring points in 340 games when you look at the actual league numbers 227 games played in the Ukrainian Premier League, 99 goals scored, 65 assists. That's not too bad. That's that's really good numbers. He's also scored 29 goals in 69 Ukrainian national team games. You know, there is there is um, there is that um, the fact that you know he is uh, as a player, he knows where the goal is, and the way I explained it on an article I did for the Yellow Wall is there's two ways this could end. We've seen two stars from the Ukrainian Premier League move to the Bundesliga recently. Uh, one of them was Henrik Mkhitaryan, who is now, of course, a star in, at Manchester United. It worked out very well for him in the long run. The other one was Douglas Costa, who arrived at Bayern and was an absolute star early on, but was a flash in the pan because he never learned how to adjust tactically. I think Yamolenko will end up being one of those two. And I think we, we just don't know yet which one it's going to be because it's a, it's an adjustment. And if he does the adjustment well, he can be very well be the like next Henrik Mkhitaryan. But if it doesn't work well, it could be the next Douglas Costa. So I guess we'll, we'll just wait and see and uh, keep an eye on him. We'll keep an eye on his progress, of course, on the Gagan Pressing podcast, but also on the Football Ground podcast. But sadly, guys, we're out of time today. So, Tim, what are you, what are you doing this week? What can we, uh, what can you plug for us? Well, I'm enjoying beautiful weather in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. But uh, yeah, Rocket from Russia, I'm doing as ever. I have some exciting interviews uh, scheduled for September. So rocketfromrussia.tumblr.com and on Twitter at RussianTim61. Excellent. Now go check that out. Andrew, what's going on in your world? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually starting a new teaching job pretty soon. That's keeping me busy. But in terms of the football writing world, um, yeah, it's, I'm taking a bit of a break in the international break. Um, and then when we get back into the European campaign, I'll be on top of those European previews, uh, Football Grad. And mm. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm mentally gearing myself up four weeks' time for the trip to Moscow for the Spartak and Tiska games against the English teams. So, um, yeah. I mean, I'm enjoying the international break. Uh, and I'm going to have a good chuckle at Dynamo in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's going to be one that's going to make us all laugh. Uh, of course, um, we'll have some international previews um, for you on footballgrad.com, uh, a couple on footballsidage.com and Fußballstadt, of course, we have the, the Germany previews. So stay tuned on that. We have a couple of last-minute transfers that we're going to cover on all those pages. So... Uh, stay tuned at Football Grad Live. That's where your location on Twitter. And you can follow me at Manuel Weff. But more importantly, if you like what you're hearing, go on iTunes, leave us a review, leave us some thoughts, um, feedback, anything is welcome. Um, yeah, we're available on iTunes. We're available on Acast. You can find us there. Until, well, that's it for me. Until next week, Dosvidanje.
It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.